0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick Shane McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And we are deep into Bold Thinkers Month. Actually, it's more than a month now. We extended it because just good people started showing up and we're gonna continue our conversation today with Max Rose, Congressman Max Rose, who is a Democrat from New York running for his old seat, which he lost two years ago. He is back in the saddle. So last week you got to know Max and I'm sure you enjoyed that. And we talked kind of big picture about military experience that he had, what he learned, how we could apply that potentially to make government work better. So that was a little bit more policy oriented. This week, we're gonna talk a little bit about what it's like, actually to be a congress man or woman a congress person what it was like to roll in that first day and figure out what you're going to do the fomo in congress and you know what it means to run a campaign so just i always find it interesting politics like anything else is an industry you know and we forget that it's just people doing work and even though it's glamorized and all that sort of fomo versus reality stuff politicians get up they tie their shoes just like everybody else and there's a lot of drudgery and dreary kind of work it's just how it is and so that's what we're going to talk about today of course it's inspiring and max is just great as you've seen he he makes things really come alive and feel real that's one of the things i love about speaking with him but uh it's gonna be a different conversation last week because it is for me i just i think it's amazing to think about all of the personalities and the fomo sapiens running around our government it's just that part is my favorite all right my small ask of the week you will recall last week I talked about merch I'm gonna talk about merch one more time and please don't shoot me but I gotta tell you go to fomosapiens.com store for the fomo shop. I wear my fomo sapiens baseball cap all the time and I get some mad props on it so if you want to get stopped on the street <laughs> pick one up all right. And now, it is time to continue our conversation. And I started our conversation today by talking about the challenge of getting great people to run for office or get involved in politics. So what I'm going to do, rather than the usual old thing we do every week with that question that I like to ask, I'm just going to cut right into the interview where we stopped last week. So here we go. Get ready and enjoy. FOMO. There are so many talented people in this country or in this world, we have listeners all over the world, obviously in their own countries have political institutions as well. And getting really great people to go into public service isn't easy because you think about, you know, the friction you think about, if you run for office, they, they, they completely trash your family. It's not an easy field It never, you know, politics has always been tricky, but nowadays, like, the heat is so high. You think about these officials who, you know, oversaw the election at a, you know, local level, and all of a sudden, they're being attacked all over the internet or being threatened. Like, it is, that's the kind of stuff that's happening. Obviously, there's good things, too. I don't want to focus only on the negative, but getting really great people who are like, well, I could go do this or I could just get a job at a bank and make a lot more money and not have to deal with it. like, how do you think about that you challenge? Know, I, I couldn't disagree with you more. If I tried okay. the, the notion Love that the, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is, this is how you don't get invited backpacks. Max. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, look, man, that's that same exact attitude that I talked about when I, uh, when we began this conversation this notion that public servants they need to be thanked because they're obviously stupider um, mm. it, it's not true the smartest and I spent time in the private sector I'll be at less time but I spent a ton of time in the public sector smartest people I've ever met were public servants um, every day that I served in Congress in fact I was often amazed by the quality of our uh, civil servants, by the quality of many of the people that were serving in elected office too. And I remain a deep believer in this country, despite some of my colleagues who often choose to spit at the constitution rather than embrace their, their inner patriot. What's amazing is, is what people have accomplished despite the divisiveness in this country and despite the hate and vitriol that is subsuming us. So I don't think we should always be continuing to recruit the best and the brightest and we need to pay people more in public service. We need to pay them a heck of a lot more because they shouldn't have to go through that level of, you know, financial sacrifice and their families as well. But, you know, man, I meet a, a hell of a lot of dumb, lucky people in the private sector. Um, who, particularly in an era of really low cost of capital, Mm. um, where they they haven't even had to make a profit in order to become millionaires. uh, You know, they they, they, they are not the gold standard to me, by any sense of the word. Now, what I think there are questions, though, that we should be answering about how this country needs to become a better place. Uh, And one of the one of the things that I think we really need to be looking at are some of the perverse incentives and the forces at play that profit from our division. Uh, I think in 20 years, when we look back at social media algorithms and the business of social media, we will look at it in the same way that we think about the manner in which people used to ride in vehicles without airbags and seatbelts and (laughs) the Or you know, maybe how people, you know, would, Smoke a cigarette around their two-year-old, which is ironic because I'm smoking a cigarette right now in this conversation. But the it, it is it is ripping apart our society the ways in which people are viewing two different tracks of news. Some of it fake, all of it designed to divide us even further, um, with zero consequence. You know, so I, I love this country, and part of the reason why I love this country is because it's filled with the best public servants uh, that one could ever, ever imagine. Um, and so the last thing I would do is think that all we need is some more folks from the private sector to come in and, and help them. Uh, that, 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 that I don't think is the answer, although their service would be much, w- would be, uh, I think rewarding and, uh, embraced. But what I think that people who came from the private sector, and I've learned this from so many people who have come from the private sector to serving government, what I think they would very quickly learn and do learn, is that they're not making an act of charity. That they're that they're going to learn more than they ever would have doing something else.
0: I think that makes sense. I get that. I would say though, I think you lose the young people. Like, if you look at the cynicism among the youngest Americans who are getting out of college, that's where the opportunity is. Like, yeah, somebody who's been in the private sector for twenty years, like that's one thing. But what? Do, how do we get like the twenty three year old fired up?
1: Well, look, I think that there's probably some things that we're doing that are pretty stupid. Like, I, I don't think that we should be um, testing the people we want working in cyber for marijuana. Like, I, you know, like there's, there, are, there are some like ludicrous things that we're doing in that department. But I don't know if this notion that we're losing the young people is statistically valid. Um, you know, I, and I think that nothing can't be solved by just agreeing to pay our public servants more, which is what they're deserving of. But this idea that, Someone isn't going to government service, but is choosing to go to Goldman or Google or Facebook because somehow those institutions are some like free wielding, wonderful oases of like creativity when you and I both know that those are stifling bureaucracies in their own right. So it's, it, it's, it, the, there are, Always, ways in which government needs to work to become more entrepreneurial, more meritocratic, but so does the corporate world too, and they they could learn lessons um, from each other in in that regard. You know, I think one of the things that we absolutely don't need to work on is we can't have a dual track country where it becomes very difficult for people to jump from the private sector back to the public sector. The military is starting to experiment with some of this where they give uh, its uh, uniformed officers the opportunity to maybe jump to the private sector for a year or two, go work at a big company and jump back and take some of those lessons learned there with them. I'd also love to see people being able to jump from the public sector, from the private sector into the private sector and back. But the only way that I think we could realistically conceive of that dynamic if it's a partnership between equals, because it absolutely is. The last thing that we, I would ever want to see is a group of people coming from the private sector thinking that they're giving the public sector some gift. You know, it, it's that—that that was the same thing that was said to me when I was enlisting in the military, and it's the same thing that's proven wrong to me every day that I still serve in uniform in the in the Army
0: Reserves. FOMO. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day are taking a week. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year, happy birthday. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close the books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. Those are key performance indicators in one efficient system. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know this show is all about making better decisions, and with this product, you can make better decisions because you have all the information you need right in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com FOMO. That's netsweet.com slash FOMO to get your own KPI checklist. Because you know what? KPIs are better than ice cream. Netsweet.com slash FOMO. FOMO. Max, when you got to Congress, what was it like? I mean, you walk in that first day and you're all fired. I imagine you're fired up. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably be like tearing up a little bit here and there. And then you start working. And like from the outside, we imagine it's like the wet, you know, we all watch the West Wing. It just seems like it's going to be a lot of. Desks with eagles carved into them and dinners at Morton Steakhouse and, you know, some cigar smoking in a room, making a deal. But I know it's like anything else, like there's the FOMO, then there's the versus reality kind of thing where you where you just do the work. It's a job like anything else. Like, what was it like and what did you learn, you know, in terms of what it really was when you got down to it? So, you know, there's this
1: great scene in one of Robert Caro's, I believe his second uh, edition of his uh, biography of LBJ, talking about when uh, Johnson was a staffer, 23, 22 years old, at the in Congress, and he was known for running to the Capitol, right? And it was always uh, Robert Carroll was always like, "Why is he running? Why is he running?" So what Robert Carroll did is he figured out the route that LBJ would take and the time that he would walk to the Capitol, and what he realized when he took that route is that just as Johnson would be walking to the Capitol when he was about four or five blocks away was when the sun was coming up over the Capitol and he would start to run. And that, that, that's, that's kind of how I felt every day that I was there, you know, like um, it, it was such a, a blessing and a privilege. And I did my best each and every day to be cognizant of that you know that you are there um, to do your best to serve the country and you are there to to fight um, to try to not only make this country even better and even greater but also to try to fight to help this nation fulfill its its promise now what's fascinating though is that Congress is not an is not an organized institution it wasn't designed to be that Congress in the House of Representatives was designed to be a coalition of 435 independent contractors who answered to no one um, but the people that put them there. And so, you know, what you find is that it's absolute organized chaos. And where, where some folks struggle is that they think they can go in there and fix that. You can't, right? Um, but you can marvel at it. You know, you stand on the house the House floor and you see this flurry of activity where everybody is holding these different letters that they want you to get signed on on to or these these different events that they want you to go to and they come to talk to and they have purpose and sometimes they're not telling you the purpose at some point people are strategic socializers where they're building friends and building consensus and doing those at the same time and you never know where you've stepped into the Realm of friendship or where it's professional because there is no boundary between the two in politics and and in, in Congress. But what the other fascinating thing about Congress is is that when you're there, you're a Congressperson mm. and you have the same title as someone who's been there for thirty years. But you better not forget who it is that you're talking to, you know. And yeah, you know, I, I I served with John Lewis, wrap I mean, But you know, to, I can't even wrap my mind around that still, you know, that in in other legend, a hero. And the notion that you know you, I could walk up to him on the house floor it is just a privilege doesn't even do it justice. So what the other thing though, that I think you really learn when you're there, and it takes some time to learn this, Power is diffuse, and it is very weird to comprehend the notion that your power is in the words that you speak and what you choose to speak about and when you choose to speak about it, that your letters carry weight, Mm -hmm. that your phone call carries weight, that your messages carry weight, that where you choose to go carries weight. If you don't struggle with that transition, there's something going on with you that's not good. Um, but you have to learn, and I maybe only began this process of learning, uh, how to effectively utilize those tools in, in a manner that is powerful, but you got to stay humble, too. Um, so, it, you know, I, uh, I think the art um, and science of politics and governing is, is something worthy of study and worthy of pursuit
0: and awfully fun as well when you show up there, I am at, it's kind of like the first day of college or something. And everybody kind of, you know, you kind of see people, you meet new people, you make some new friends and you sort of, you maybe have an idea of like, you know, who you're going to be and what you want to achieve. But it's overwhelming because you could do a million things. Like you, if it's kind of like, again, it's like, you could go to every party, you could go to every fundraiser, you could go to every, meeting, whatever, you know, it's totally overwhelming, right? It's like FOMO central. How did you figure out like what, what's Max Rose going to be? You know, how do you, what what was your lane and how'd you pick it?
1: No, no. And I I think that that is, that goes back to the point I was making previously, that that is the most strategic consideration one has to make. Mm. And in this way, it's, it's similar to being any type of executive that, you know, where do you put your focus? You probably one of the biggest mistakes any member of Congress makes is trying to think that they can run like a mini White House out of their office. Mm. You have to, from the a policy making lane, you have to pick a few buckets. Always remembering that, you know, constituent services has to be your bread and butter. You know, I really, really dug into issues of Homeland Security and domestic terrorism. And one of the real things that I pushed was this notion that many of the domestic terrorist organizations that we're looking at actually have very strong global connections and that a tool, and this gets a little wonky, but that what the principal way we fought jihadist terrorism for the last two decades was via the list of foreign terrorist organization list, which is determined by the State Department. There's 60 some odd uh, entities on that foreign terrorist organization list none of which are um, uh, organizations that we would put more into the white supremacist uh, bent that were some of these organizations that we're hearing about these days. Now what's interesting is is that you have all the, these groups domestically located that have chapters all around the world. Uh, the Proud Boys has chapters in 40 different countries, uh, Waffen has chapters. Uh, you know throughout the the world uh and they have connections too more importantly uh, they're they're going to conferences together they're uh, attending events together there's movement of money there's movement of information it, they've modeled themselves after al-qaeda and isis why else would one of these organizations call themselves the base mm. the literal translation of al-qaeda um, so you know that 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 is a an issue that we dove into and we held hearings on, and we wrote letters on, and we became experts on this issue and, and pushed the ball forward. Um, not all the way past, past the baton, as always happens in this country and in this world. That is something that is one of the important things that one can pursue. You know, there, there's different types of members of Congress, though, and this was only something I, I learned, right? There are members of Congress that spend all of their time on constituent services. There are members of Congress that want to spend all of their time on TV. There's members of Congress that want to spend all of their time policy making and thinking long-term. There's members of Congress that just want to rise up the leadership ladder, right, and are really focusing on internal politics. How do I become that caucus chairman in the 2032 caucus elections? How do I raise money for other people and blah 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 blah, right? Those are the old school polls. There's members of Congress that are thinking about how do they become a governor? How do they become a senator? How do they look to the next seat, right? And all these people are are moving and shaking. They're moving and shaking, man, in organized chaos. And you have to Admire the problem set, the chaos, the intricacies and complexities of the situation, and understand you know, it's the serenity prayer, right?
0: You know, understand (laughs) what you can't change,
1: Uh, otherwise, you're not going to really enjoy it. FOMO,
0: FOMO. You make it sound so fun, actually. Like, now I have you know, this desire to I'm not going to do it probably, but because I you know, I like comfort too much, but to go and try to throw my hat in the arena. Uh, But it's funny, you know, I had a friend who worked for a, a presidential as the CTO and I was asking her, okay, what did they give you from, you know, the last campaign from the party? She said, no, 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 we built it all from scratch. And I thought that was really interesting. All the tech tools, I mean, they had tons of tech tools. They had like 50 engineers, built it from scratch. And you've done this once before, you're running again now and you're building the campaign and you're, you're figuring out, I mean, you know, it's like, it's an entrepreneurial organization, whether it comes to raising money or deciding how you want to spend that money or coming up with your messaging or figuring out how you want to tell your story or just all the stuff. It's, it's people. I don't think people realize that the level of entrepreneurship that goes into a political campaign.
1: Uh, it's really startling. Yeah. I mean, the a campaigns are startups um, through and through. Now what's what's really interesting is that the process of capital raising is also really analogous <laughs> to what startups encounter in the in the private sector. You know you just as you know in the private sector, you're going through kind of three different stages of capital raise, right? You've got your seed round where uh, right, you're selling someone on a vision. You might not even have a product. Um, but the, you know the, there's folks are really buying into you as a human being and the person itself. You kind of then move a little bit more into like that private equity, right? You know, or Series B, Series C time, where you've got a product, you have some revenue, you might not be turning a profit. There's still, man, they're coming in early, but it's not like, um, uh, you know, it's not late in the game, right? And then suddenly you're getting ready to IPO, right? It's that moment where you're, you're the, the the camp, the elections about to happen. You're three weeks away. You're four weeks away. You're, you're in on the excitement. And the, the 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 process of fundraising for a, a campaign is exactly the same. right? they all go through those different stages. I think it's also striking, often how young folks are. Yeah, it's striking how much the allocation of resources really matters. Um, it, it's striking how much a narrative, building a narrative and having a cultural ethos around the campaign, and a central strategy, really. Um, really really matters trying to figure out what matters and what doesn't and perhaps the latter is a much more important conclusion in a in a campaign and like i say this is someone who's i've won one campaign i've lost one campaign so i could be full of shit but i think this is right um but you know what, what's also really really striking though about it is and there, there's been all of these uh Shows recently about startups, right? You got the shows about Uber and this. And yeah, that
0: and that. <laughs> that's entrepreneurship right. porn, is what I call it. But anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, and I think that they, just, and it's the same way with campaigns. Uh, so much of it is not glamorous. Yeah. And so much of it is not the West Wing, you know, and you, you always have to tell folks who want to get involved listen, this isn't some moment where like you're on a daily basis crafting some, you know, speech that you'll. Deliver, you know, to, to thousands. This is a this is a grind, and um, I've never started my own company, but I imagine entrepreneurship is the same. Well, private sector entrepreneurship is the same thing, right? Like there's just the daily, sometimes monotonous grind that is worth it, but ain't, ain't sexy by any sense of the word. Um, and I said that's that that's that's campaigns, man. Um, you know, I think that the to close out this point. What's also really, really fascinating is after each one of my campaigns, I've seen the staff really kind of go through this cycle of like falling off the like emotional cliff almost. And you know, their their exhaustion and their adrenaline highs, they, they fall off that cliff and then they they struggle to maybe find purpose thereafter because they really miss like this all-consuming, all-subsuming effort and initiative. I know people feel that after going through the process of a, you know, starting a company. I felt that way after coming home from Afghanistan too, right? Like there's this thing that's built into our DNA, particularly when we're younger, or yeah, maybe, maybe perhaps forever, of just wanting to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves, and being part of a team and having a mission and campaigns most certainly offer that.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I think the takeaway here and for everybody who's listening, and this week for Faux Mondays, which is our show that kind of tees up, so every Monday we talk about, I talked about how to get involved in politics. And my big thought about politics is, politics is a beautiful thing. It's fundamentally about people. And it's about doing something that's meaningful to you and finding a way to engage sustainably. And it's exciting because at the end of the day, no matter what you're interested in doing, you're building something with a team and trying to make a positive impact in your society. So it is entrepreneurial. And if you think entrepreneurially, you can have a huge impact. Max Rose, I really wanna thank you for being here. If you guys wanna find out more about Max, you can go to maxroseforcongress.com or find him on Instagram, has a very spicy Instagram. Well, it's not that spicy. He's a politician, but Max Rose, the number four NY, Max Rose for New York. Max Rose, thank you so much for being here. FOMO If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMeguinness.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City.